0: I'm Kate Daniels. We have a terrible epidemic in our community, in our country, in our world, and it is called suicide. Chuck Patrikas is one of the many committed members of the community working toward the goal of bringing hope and light to this situation. Chuck is a licensed mental health counselor with PacMed, so he's an excellent person to connect with to learn more about mental health and suicide, and about a key way that we can support education and those who are suffering. Chuck Petrikas, good morning. Thank you for being with us one more time. I really appreciate the fact that you are here and you're so committed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to come on the show and uh, talk today with this.
0: The thing is that this is your work as a licensed mental health counselor, but the fact that you really want to share information and really engage people, I feel is you being in the right profession because you have such a deep commitment to it. So uh, I think I'm probably correct in saying that, am I not?
1: I hope so. Um, <laughs> uh, that's that's my hope, that... Um... You know, I'm I'm helping people out and I'm doing something that uh, makes sense to me and I enjoy. And, uh, yeah, I do have a lot of passion around it and a lot of uh, years of experience, um, you know, but it's one of those jobs that doesn't look as cut and dried as going to the doctor's office and, and getting a prescription and going home and, you know, taking your pills and know, okay, it's it's a long work, it's a work of the soul, the work of your life. So in that sense, Um, measurement sometimes can be difficult.
0: And that's why, you know, perhaps saying that right at the outset is when we're looking at the whole scope of mental health, mental illness, that it is so incredibly broad and and really does take so much time and commitment. As you say, you can't just take these pills and, oh, we're cured, we're fine. So that's why we've had these, uh, a couple of discussions already prior to this. Today, as we continue along this path, this one's going to be uh, tougher, I feel, because a lot of this focus is going to be on suicide, suicide prevention, hopefully with the content of what you are going to be sharing with us. But suicide is such a, a tough, tough topic And it's something, though, that we're talking about because it certainly has increased, hasn't it?
1: Definitely. It's just something that, you know, in King County alone, um, there's been an 18 percent increase in the last decade of suicide. And I think uh, Seattle in general has always had sort of a higher suicide rate. But these numbers are uh, across the country going up. We can't get away from hearing about it on the news, uh, seeing it on Netflix, hearing about it. From somebody that we know, having it affect us directly. I mean, this is something that's being talked about indirectly all the time. But you know, the uh, national media use it as a uh, public health concern, so they're very wary of even mentioning how somebody dies uh, on the news because there's a fear that it can set off more suicidal behavior across the country. But we're here, we're talking about this. I'm of the opinion that bringing something out of the shadows into light, talking about it, um, is always gonna be more helpful than avoiding it, sugarcoating it, uh, pretending that it doesn't exist.
0: And that's why you and I are connecting this morning to share this really critical information, because yes, hiding under a stone is not going to make it go away. With the numbers increasing, they're not increasing just because we've talked about it. I think there certainly is an element of just, uh, I'm going to say despair, but certainly just feeling overwhelmed and wanting to give up. So that's why we have to bring attention to it.
1: Yeah, and I think when we talk about suicide, we're touching on almost every... Uh, mental health diagnosis that exists, anxiety, depression, PTSD, uh, chronic pain, across the board, dealing with something mental or physical under extreme circumstances over a long course of time um, will make somebody uh, experience so much pain and suffering that at some point they just want it to stop. And I think for the patients that I see, that's what I hear most often, is that I'm, I'm suffering, I'm in so much pain, and I just want to turn it off. And I think one thing that and I just want to illuminate here that I've discovered over the years is when talking to people who are suicidal or talking about it, I get to the bottom of it with them and say, you know, to me, it sounds like you just don't want to have pain anymore. You don't want to feel bad anymore. But you don't actually want to die and they stop, and they think, and they're like, yeah, you're right. I do want to live. I just want to feel good. And I I tell them, that's a big difference than actually wanting to die. That's a huge difference because that's what I want. That's what you want. That's what everybody wants is just to feel better. If there's a way that we can feel better without actually ending our life, let's figure that out. And I think that sort of aha moment lets the person know that they don't have a death wish. They just have a, a, a relief wish, they just have a non-suffering um, part of themselves that, that's screaming to come out. And they've, they've run out of uh, ways to fix that. Nothing's worked, this hasn't worked, this hasn't worked. I guess this last option is the only thing that's gonna work. And I think that is has been really helpful to people I've worked with, because then from that point When they realize they want to live, we can then do some things about
0: that. You can strategize and find how to uh, find methods that are going to help to cope or make changes uh, because that that view. And it seems like it's just such a very narrow margin changing that viewpoint. It's not really, well, maybe it is a 180-degree turn, but it feels very different from... You're right. I don't want to die to seeing that. Okay. How are we going to go forward?
1: Yeah. Let's figure this out. Let's collaborate. You know, and I think for those who are listening um, to this, I, I think there's a, a sense of maybe helplessness or, you know, if somebody comes to me or I hear about this. I'm not a mental health expert. I, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I'm going to make it worse and it's beyond my scope. I think all those things um, stop us from engaging with people that we know um, deeper. And I really encourage family members um, and people I meet to say you don't have to be a mental health expert. Um, You just have to be able to continue to have a relationship with this person, to listen to them, and then to validate them. And I think the idea of validation is saying that that makes a lot of sense. I hear you. You're not crazy. And to sort of normalize and agree with the person versus what I see usually happening is if somebody jumps in, they want to fix it. They want to solve it and they want to say, oh, you know, things aren't that bad or, you know, shame on you. You know, like uh, you're going you're gonna to make a lot of people sad and angry if you do that. So it's either the guilt tripping, the fixing, or the silence that that people are encountered with in, in the daily life. And it's just as simple as sort of what I call holding space with somebody, being next to them in the room, maybe putting your arm around them, just sitting with them in the dark for as long as it takes. And I think the experience of feeling suicidal is one that you don't feel understood, that you feel alone, and that this problem is uniquely yours and nobody understands it when you're in a room with somebody and, and you're just sitting with them you're making them tea, um, you're holding their hand, that does a world of good, at least until they can get the therapy, at least until they can get some other help. So I just want to say, on the ground level, there are, there are some things that you know we can all do to start to triage some of this stuff when we encounter it in our daily life.
0: And you, of course, have your work that you do, and you are seeing people, patients, people coming in who have experienced this. Do you ever then have friends or family members come with them so you can kind of do this as a a group to help uh, have that support?
1: You know, I think the conversation first starts with myself and the person, and then we work up to sort of coming out of the closet. And I think I use that terminology because it's that idea that I've got a secret that I'm too ashamed to talk about. i told people in my life, uh, they would freak out. They would treat me differently. They would look at me like, you know, I have some sort of terrible disease and I might be a pariah. But I think what I do is try to normalize the experience, build them up and then have them invite a family member into that conversation. But when you get that family member in that conversation, in that room, it really is a game changer because it's become, it's become something that now is uh, is in the context of being able to be treated. And instead of one person holding it, it's three people holding it. It's four people holding it. And the more people that are holding this sort of heavy topic together, the more manageable it is for that one person to carry it because they're not alone and, and they've sort of let people know, some insight into their life, and even gotten to the point saying, this would help me. Hey, Mom, don't try to fix me. Hey, Mom, you know, when this happens, it makes me feel really bad. So I'm going to ask for what I need, and I'm going to ask for understanding and validation. And I think, really, that's, that's the context in which people do heal. within the context of a family relationship where this is open, uh, you know, even friends coming in
0: that are safe, that can support the person while they're going through this. And while it feels so tough, there's also a feeling of it's so simple. Just be willing. Take the risk of stepping forward. As you say, come out of that closet, you know, take away the secrecy of it and realize how much support and love there is around to help you move along with this.
1: Absolutely. Um, And I think for those listening too, I I think it's just important that we all kind of have some eyes on um, some of the warning signs that we might see uh, if somebody isn't being forthcoming, Um, certainly being invasive and, and, you know, projecting onto somebody, oh, I think you're suicidal, is not helpful. But there are some consistent things that exist within uh, the scope of a person's life who's suicidal that are consistent across the board. Um, I would say a big life change. Uh, Somebody has died, uh, there's been a divorce, there's been um, a loss of a job, there's been a move across the country to an unfamiliar place. We talked about... uh, Worker burnout in the last um, broadcast, and I think that's the idea of I've I've left my place of familiarity. Now I'm in a new place. I'm in a new city. I don't have the same resources. And I feel alone, um, and that that sense of isolation and withdrawal that happens for people, um, changes in appetite, changes in sleep. Um, people beginning to give away their possessions, um, and talking about oh I, I feel like such a burden to the people around me. You know, I I see that with some older um, patients that come in and say, I'm you know, I'm sick, I can't walk, my family has to take care of me. I feel like such a burden. I think it would be better if I could just remove myself. And the the thought is this would be doing my family a favor if I was just to just kick myself out of the equation. And I think it's really important. Uh, for those people, just to be able to have a safe place to talk about that and and realize the sort of myth of that that thinking,
0: and that's also potentially depression talking.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And depression is the biggest mental health symptom associated with uh, suicide. But I, I think right up there is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the the feeling that you have you have went through a terrible nightmarish experience and maybe it's been chronic, but that, that torturous memory, that emotional wave that happens for that individual is of I just want to turn that, turn that switch off. And I think sometimes I think about it like volume, like a loud emotional volume that's going off in a person's head all day and all night. I even know somebody who experiences extreme vertigo, and they've considered suicide. This is something, this is not an emotional component. This is just a uh, biological uh, thing that's happening in their body, the sense of spinning all the time. And they just want to turn it off. So it doesn't always really have to be uh, emotional. It can also be physical um, and just wanting some kind of relief with that. Just
0: stepping back to the PTSD, which is, it is a chronic situation, is it not?
1: Uh, it can be chronic. It can be single episode. Um, it just really depends, and I think you don't have to go through war to experience that. You don't have to have a, uh, a house burned down to to have that. It can just be the sense that something was really um, emotionally, psychologically scarring to you, and it might seem small to this person over here, but it was really big for you, and, and that's... Um, it used to be relegated mostly to war vets, but I see it in almost every facet um, of, of ages in our clinic and, and people in and walks of our life. Uh, people, kids, kids can experience it by just watching domestic violence happen. Um, seeing a parent get hit can make you feel like the world is unsafe fundamentally, and that sort of feeling spreads out across all the different domains of school. And uh, that anxiety is really high. You're kind of looking over your shoulder all the time, like wondering, is the boogeyman going to get me? You know, your heart is racing, um, your thoughts are racing, and 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 fundamentally, you're not thriving because your body is in a state of fight or flight uh, most of the time. And, and that's, yeah, that is just becoming more common. Um, I see it all the time and certainly um, associated with suicidal thinking.
0: And there is hope though, isn't there, as you work with persons who are dealing with this kind of trauma for the whole gamut of reasons you just listed, Chuck, there are ways to really work with it so that it becomes manageable and the world begins to feel safer and we move away from wanting to just end life?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, I think it's one of my biggest fears is to have one of my patients commit suicide I think in the life of a therapist it's bound to happen at least once um, and it's just just the reality of our world um, but certainly I've seen a lot of people recover and come out of this and that's not to say they don't struggle with depression anxiety and suicidal thoughts on and off through their, throughout their life but this idea of I've come to somebody I've told my secret and it's actually not as scary as I thought it was. And actually I'm starting to develop some skills. Um, I've developed a safety plan. I've included my family. I've included my clergy. I've cler- included people in my life. So, like we're on board. We know that this exists and and that it's, it's a thing for me. And just like other things that we struggle with, it's about management. It's not fixing, curing, or solving. So I think... You know, just from a top level, um, finding ways for people to create meaning again once they're out of the woods of of that intense suicidal feeling. And, um, you know, that's something that takes some time. But that initial phase is really important to just sort of remove the, um, the drugs in the house if they're taking them, uh, to remove uh, ways that you can harm yourself uh, in the state of Washington and across the country firearms. Uh, are such a high risk in the home because it's an on and off switch it's so easy to commit suicide with a gun versus any other means and it's by far the the highest uh, means of suicide especially among males so your environment does matter um just if you know somebody who is uh feeling suicidal that their um their ability to sort of move and act on this is mitigated somehow, if, if you can intervene with that. Um, but, but certainly making a plan, checking the environment, getting them in to see uh, a therapist, getting them in to see a psychiatrist to get medication on board. Sometimes uh, depression suicide doesn't have to come from any sort of uh, logical place. It could just be uh, neurochemical uh, miswiring in the brain. And it's amazing to watch people just even start to take medication, and say, "Wow, I don't know why I wanted to kill myself, but that switch is sort of turned off for me. I'm not feeling that, um, that wild impulse. It just felt like it was a short circuit. So in our clinic at PacMed, you know, we're doing that that work of having the doctor, the therapist and the psychiatrist all sort of on board with the care of one person who is uh, at risk.
0: And this is the the beauty I will say of the whole situation is having the therapist like yourself Chuck, having the team involved so that there is this help I think so much of the problem is feeling so alone and not knowing where to turn. But here, as we talk about it, we know that there are resources that there is help available and therefore solutions are right there too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a huge epidemic. Obviously it's getting bigger. It's not going away anytime soon, but you know, like Mr. Rogers says, like look for the helpers, you know, this terrible thing is sweeping our country. But there are more resources out there than there ever has been before. Um, there's a great website that um, you can log on to. It's called suicideispreventable.org. And it is a step by step, clickable sort of process map on there about how to start the conversation, how to listen, express, um, and give concern to somebody, create a safety plan, get help, and even not what to say not the things that you shouldn't say to someone who's feeling suicidal. So we have that. We have helplines in King County and across the country. So the the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of resources. So I feel more hopeful in the shadow of this thing that this is becoming a big deal. This is something that is being talked about, and I think we're more transparent in our society than we were 20 years ago, by far.
0: Which is definitely what we need to do. As you were saying, we need to get out of that secrecy, and with the secrecy comes that feeling of shame. Get past the shame, because that's detrimental to us, so come forward, talk about it, and for anyone who comes forward to speak to us for us to be good listeners and sensitive and not say snap out of it or, you know, come on, get out of it type of thing. Sensitivity is really key.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the age of uh, self-help books where, you know, don't worry, be happy has not worked. (laughs) It's not, uh, this idea of just stop it. And, um, You know, happiness is a choice. There's a lot of platitudes out there that can make us feel like we're broken because it worked for this person, but it didn't work for me. So there must be something wrong with me. I must be hopeless. Um, But I just say, you know, talk to anybody who's listening. Talk to anybody who's safe and who's going to make you uh, feel validated and not judged. You know, don't make it worse by going to people and, you know, having them You know, you knowing that they're not going to be safe or validating and sort of putting yourself out there. Um, And I think also in response to it being September, it's National Suicide Awareness Month. There's a walk that's happening um, through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Pac-Med and uh, Providence are taking part in this. It is the Seattle Out of Darkness Walk, October 20th at the Seattle Center in the Fisher Pavilion. Um, just encourage listeners right now to take part in that, to go online, look that up, uh, see how you can get involved. I think there is a full spectrum of different people participating in that, parents, uh, kids, survivors, mental health workers. Um, so if you have a heart for this, if you feel like you have uh, been affected by this and, and maybe want to connect with some other people, That's a great way to to get that going, you know, get in conversation um, and possibly get into a support group who um, may be able to lead you further down your path.
0: And that is such a great value, I feel, in walks of any kind that there are. So here with the focus on suicide and suicide prevention, there is uh, going to be education available, connections with people in, in the sense of, Again, coming out of that proverbial closet, being honest about it, that we're here to want to work together and help each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's... It's a kind of a, a cliche that uh, you can't do it alone, but it's, it's really true. And I think um, I'm always championing for people to get together, especially when it's the heavy kind of subject of suicide.
0: Absolutely. And the thing is, I think with the way the statistics are these days, that we no doubt know someone. It's perhaps just a couple of degrees of separation from knowing someone who knows someone, perhaps. But it's become so prevalent that that is why we need to all participate and be there and learn and support for finding ways to come to the solutions and, and be a support for each other.
1: Yeah. And I think one other thing i like to add is that if you think you're the only one struggling with depression, with suicidal thinking, just know that your teachers are, are on some level dealing with that. Uh, your doctor is, uh, your therapist, um, the barber. I mean, we all are touched by some level of our own personal struggle with this. And I think the thought that I'm the only one who feels this way and everyone else is just fine. I think social media ingrains that into us, too, that we're doing great. Life is perfect. Um, Look like us, act like us, put on a happy face. It's such a lie. And I think it's another contributing factor to why we feel so isolated when it comes to this stuff.
0: And it affects both genders, men and women, all ages, uh, which is what is so tragic, too, regardless of the age of the person. But that's it, everyone is has that uh, happening around them, so we we really need to learn and be sensitive.
1: yeah, yeah, just just give yourself some grace. Um, the other person listening here, and um, you know, this is such a stressful country that we're living in right now there there's, um, there's so much hitting us from all sides. Um, any one of the issues that's happening in our country right now would be enough to you know trigger depression or anxiety or the feelings of, like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. This is insane. You know, I feel like that when I read the news. I feel like that when I look at the problems in our world. You know, the rainforest is burning down, that feeling of helplessness. So we are all very vulnerable to this. We are very susceptible to uh, despair. So I think it's just something, um, you know, we can't talk enough about.
0: And you, I am so grateful for the fact that you are so willing to talk about it. You have this passion, you have the education, the involvement in the mental health community and uh, encouraging us in all these different ways, Chuck. I think that uh, you are, are really a great spokesperson, just really a great person all around.
1: Well, I appreciate the the format and and, and your enthusiasm and uh, heart for this too. Because I know not um, you know every person on the radio uh, feels a sense of urgency, understands uh, the importance of all this, and um, you're really taking advantage of uh, your position in the world too. So, I
0: appreciate you. Well, thank you, and you're. You're right. You've used a very key word. It's urgent. There is a sense of urgency. Uh, October 20th is the walk out of darkness in the Seattle area. Check it out. I think if we go to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, all of the information is right there. Right, Chuck? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, check it out.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you once again for being with us, for really pursuing this important and tough topic and helping us to see, really, this way out of darkness. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, the time. You're so welcome. Now, it's time for our Sunday Morning shout out, Dovetailing right into this conversation we had with Chuck, a focus on Out of the Darkness Walks. So this is sponsored by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is a voluntary health organization that gives those affected by suicide a nationwide community empowered by research, education, and advocacy to take action against this leading cause of death. They're dedicated to saving lives, bringing hope to those affected by suicide, and creating a culture that's smart about mental health by engaging in some of these core strategies. And they are funding scientific research, educating the public about mental health and suicide prevention, advocating for public policies in mental health and suicide prevention, and supporting survivors of suicide loss and those affected by suicide. So all of these activities are captured very much in the Out of the Darkness Community Walks. They're happening across the country in many different communities. So tell your friends and family members about that. They can check the website, www.afsp.org. That's afsp.org. And find one that's close by any of you. PACMED is is partnering with Swedish and Providence St. Joseph Health this year for the October 20th walk that's at Seattle Center's Fisher Pavilion. It's an opportune time to come together, to learn, to connect, to clearly see that we are not alone and that together we are going to find the way out of darkness. So let's walk together and together we will feel supported. We're going to have support. So to learn more or join a local walk, please visit www.afsp.org today.